Hello, Women in Labour listeners. We hope you're staying safe and healthy. This episode of the podcast was recorded before the coronavirus lockdown went into effect. We would love to hear from you and how you're doing during this unusual and difficult time. You can reach out to us through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or on womeninlabour.com. Now, enjoy the show. So Aditi, how's it going? It's going really well. What a month it's been. I have done uh, 13 shows this month. Wow. Because it's college uh, festival season. Achha. And so uh, yo girl be working and making some money. And you've done 13 shows and we're only like halfway through the month. You are a busy woman. Uh, you know what I'll tell you though. I mean, <laughs> as I said, it's college festival season, so mm. I have more shows. Uh But otherwise, uh, this is—it's not how it is. It's mostly slim pickings. No, uh, I swear. But that's what it is, right? Like working in uh, the gig economy, for the lack of a better word, is that sometimes there'll be like three hundred gigs in f- two days, and then for two months you're just sitting there, like being like, "What happened? Why doesn't anyone like?" <laughs> I always have that because my work, for some reason, dries up in the summer. Uh, like, because is it because of the high temperatures? Hey, oh. No, <laughs> oh, no, you know, like it's like this natural ebb and flow of my year, where like the summer, there's just like less, less gigs, <laughs> and then it's like uh, insanely busy to the point of you know like I'm on skates and having you know cardiac uh, events <laughs> from like the fall to the winter to the spring, and then summer just naturally is a bit more chilled out. I don't know why that is. It's wow. Tell me this. Tell me this. When you do, so if it's college gig season right yeah. now, do you change your set and your comedy when you're performing for, say, college students versus other audiences? Oh yeah. Tell oh, me about it. Oh yeah, definitely. So you know what? With college students, especially, like they'll come with a lot of rules because they're like, listen, our teachers are going to be sitting there, and so you have to kind of like it's almost like because because the, the students I know, like especially with stand-up comedy, they do a lot of this thing where they're like, listen, you know, please, please, please. Just don't say anything that'll piss our teachers off. Otherwise, they won't allow us to have another comedian back on next year, uh, right? Well, that is a that's a lot of pressure. So, <laughs> are there rules like like you can't say the f word? Oh yeah, so there's no cursing. There's uh, you know, um, like like keeping I guess really outrageous ideas to a minimum. Uh, non-revolutionary, non-revolutionary ideas. ideas. Textbook appropriate ideas. Textbook appropriate ideas is correct. And then, of course, like when you're when you're out in the public, general public, when you're just selling tickets for a show, then you know that the audience has come to watch you because they've seen your face on the poster. Yeah. So you're like, now I can do anything. <laughs> like, now I can talk what I want. Um, and so, yeah, it varies, and it actually really affects the way my like what I write and how I write it, uh, like through the year. And so, like, how is that process of adapting it difficult, or does it just come naturally? You know, it is difficult, and it, it. I guess now it's become slightly easier, but it always is a a task. Yeah, it's always like work. Yeah, you know, uh, you're not sort of messing around. You uh, and and it's. I mean, it's also for like events, right? Any event that you go to, I have done tons of private events where they'll be like, okay, can you give us 15 minutes on aluminium? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> This was like some. Aluminium exporters, like what is what is? Can you tell me what are some of the more outrageous <laughs> themes that you've received to perform on? So you know the <laughs> the ones that used to get me, and I used to do wedding gigs earlier, which I don't do anymore. Yeah, which is because I'll tell you. 
So one, <laughs> there would be a ton where they would be like, listen, you know what will happen? Na? You come to the wedding, then you just emerge from the crowd and <laughs> start telling jokes. And I'm like, wait, what? No. Does anyone suspect like, how do you have a microphone in your hand? <laughs> I don't know. And, and like, even when I'm going to be mingling in the crowd, they're going to be like, who is this weird chick? She's just standing around like. Oh my gosh, I have to say, I have been to many weddings in India now. And I feel like if you came out of nowhere performing jokes, <laughs> that would be like the best wedding ever. I For, for anyone listening that's planning a wedding... I feel like this is a this is a great tip. <laughs> Surefire. You just hire someone to emerge <laughs> from the crowd telling jokes. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about the gig economy. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell you say. Don't worry, I will. <laughs> Basically, the gig economy is this new thing, right, that has evolved, which is... Yeah, what is a gig really? If you like, what, How would one define a gig? Well, your gigs are much different than probably the general, the rest of us are gigs. Um, but the gig economy is basically all of the people working on laptops and coffee shops and in their living rooms. <laughs> yeah, like people who are working from project to project. Exactly. Right? So one project gets, you work on one project or maybe two, three simultaneously, but they get over. It's not like a full-time job. Absolutely. Where you're working at the same company or same place. But is it more flexible than like a regular job? Because then you you decide, you sit, decide when you want to sit at the coffee shop with your laptop. Totally, totally. I mean, it's definitely more flexible. It's like very decentralized. Then you can take on as many or as few projects as you want or need. Ah. You know, so you can be like there with eight arms doing all of them at once. Or you can sort of take on one at a time. One at a time. You know, in fact, the first time I heard the word gig uh, was uh, I'd just been doing stand-up for a while and then uh, I just and I just kind of graduated out of open mics. I got a call and they were like, there's a gig at, uh, and the, there was a place called Tian uh, uh-huh. in Juhu at that point in time. And they were like, there's a gig at Tian. Do you want to perform? And I was like, there's a who at Tian? <laughs> They're like, a gig. And that was the first time I encountered the word gig. Yeah. What does it stand for? Like, it's a giggle economy? Like, I think it, I think it might a, be giggle. What does gig stand for? Uh, I think it's a, it's a short for giggle. Because, I think totally. Because it's, if it's a full-time job, it's a laugh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and if it's, a, if it's a small job, it's a giggle. So. That's, yeah, that's a good one. It's a giggle. Um, I've done plenty of giggles in my day. <laughs> plenty of giggles. Now, here's the thing. So, one thing is that because the gig economy is more flexible, you know, I think a, like there's one theory is that uh, that's really good for women because women yeah. need flexible work hours. Like you need to be able to, women who are also moms, they need to be able to like pick up kids. They need to be able to... Take care of the elderly Exactly. The take someone to a doctor's appointment. They have all of these other unpaid jobs that they're doing. Yeah. And the gig economy enables that. And the more that we have a gig economy, the more sort of female-friendly work, work is. Yeah. yeah. As a woman, I reckon, I mean, the, the, the pressure to... Because you have a full-time gig as a human woman. Then you have a... Like, women do a lot of gigs for the lack of... Yeah, <laughs> like there's the laundry gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Just, yeah. You have that all the time. It's a consultancy. You, yeah, have, if, you if, have the Kana gig. <laughs> That is a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The take care, the pick up the pick up the kids from the school gig. Gig, the relentless. There's gig after gig after gig, and oh, so man. 
actually it sounds really awesome that to be able to fit in a work gig and so the gig economy actually the the gig job fits in perfectly with the real human wo- woman job because it's it's uh, indicative of the multiple personalities and multiple spaces that women tend to occupy and much more than not multiple spaces sorry multiple roles hmm. that women tend to occupy it actually fits itself in nicely to mm. that mm. it totally does now here's the thing just to be contrarian i'm going to tell you the other side of it too Ooh. and i'm taking this perspective from the wonderful rita duan it's not my own original <laughs> thinking okay but one point she brought up is that you also have to look at the opposite side of that which is that it's basically a way uh where you don't have any protections you don't even have um direct contact with your employer in many ways Ooh, i never thought of it like that so she argues like the gig economy is great but at the same time you have to recognize that there's another side to this coin i mean in terms of insurance and stuff like that i am my company <laughs> and, oh. and turns out i don't give many benefits <laughs> I, have, <laughs> i i have a shitty shitty uh, medical and dental package me- medical and dental package <laughs> in aditi mittal incorporated today we're going to talk to someone who has really spent a lot of time looking at what are the ways that we can look at the future of work yeah and how are these what are strategies to have these positively work for women so today i'm really excited to talk to our guest Sairi Chalal. Sairi is the founder of Shiros. Shiros is one of the largest networks of women uh, in the world. Thank you for having me here, ladies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what we're excited to talk to you a bit about today is women in the workforce. Right. Uh, and you've done some incredible work with Shiros. We're we're really excited Thank to you. discuss it with you. You know, we can sit here and talk all day. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm afraid we might. <laughs> I'm afraid we might. Uh Sadi, you've been working with women uh and women in the workforce for way before it was even a trendy thing to work with. I know. I know. What was your what was that the 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 moment what was the the sort of the inciting moment for you to get into this space Look I come from a very uh uh you know my dad side of the family comes from hardcore bathinda and if you've seen Jabbi Met it's a page from Jabbi Met <laughs> so and I grew up in UP in a small place called Muzaffarnagar which is super orthodox and literally in a village called Nara which was a Japanese steel mill you know where my dad worked and for me uh all of this was like a build up and the other i think the big trigger for all of this was building a startup in 99 i built an internet company in 99 so what sort of was very very valuable only in hindsight was that i got to sort of learn how to build products technology use the internet for like fun interesting things and uh working with women was just a very logical sort of conclusion that happened and uh, just to give you a little more context uh when you know i was in school everybody had to be a you know doctor or an engineer you you know it is a page from three idiots right like you know everybody had to sort of competitively compete and the girls in my class did really well you know out of i think 60 students 35 girls went on <laughs> went on to become engineers and doctors and CAs but by the time i went back for a high high school reunion 
most of them had dropped out. Like I think I was one of the two, three people who were still around, you know, and not married off and not uh, not sort of, you know, uh, staying at home. And that was a small trigger and, you know, everything that I learned through the course of my career sort of came around and said, hey, we're going to try something. So you're right. We were the first ones to actually come out and talk about women in the workplace. We were the first ones to talk about working from home or flexible work or returning to the workplace. Uh, and before that, if you went online, you searched for any of these terms, you would only come up with get rich quick scams, you yeah. know, those pay us $100 and earn $700 every day, you know, so it was really like scamming. And so we, the first thing we put out was a very, very ugly .NET website uh, made by, you know, developer <laughs> in Noida. But guess what? We were the first ones. So on one side, it invited women to sort of come and be part of this community. And on the other side, we had, we, we were inviting companies. And we put a colleague on the job to say, hey, call companies and tell them this exists. And guess what? It just took off, you know. Like, because it was the first, it just sort of like, you know, they these days they call it organic user acquisition. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really fun to see that fly off. And from there, everything started because we figured, hey, look at the amount of hunger and look at, you know, we always forget that India has uh, a unique legacy of educated women. India has the maximum number of women graduates in the world. And that happened thanks to the matrimonial market. You know, if you if you remember Amol Palakar movies from the 70s, yeah. you know, the, the working girl in Bombay going in a local train, that narrative was so strong. And of course, the narrative of uh, matrimony and graduate Bahu is yeah. like, so graduate Bahu got more women educated than anything else did. Okay. Wow. Like, no. <laughs> so, you know. You know. We should put like empowered, intelligent, has a high-paying job, also in marriage ads. Yeah. <laughs> we should. Uh, we should. So, so India has so many educated women with aspirations, right? And they all don't live in Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore. They live in every part of the country. Look, have, being the woman that where I came from, and I knew. Look, I'm not alone. It's millions and maybe 200 million of us who are exactly like this, who come from very, you know, nothing to write home about existence. And uh, to, for me, it was two plus two. So, uh, so that sort of got like a huge, you know, uh, response and everything sort of, you know, we, we sort of went from there. So she does is a women only space. Mm. Uh, we are a network of 16 million women. And we we, we are about 11 million women in India, four outside of India, and a lot of universal themes that collect, connect them. So one is just me space. Second is no judgments. Third is we all want to do more with our lives, right? You know, moms can find advice from other moms and legal advice and health advice. Uh, so it's a, it's a support group. And just to sort of, you know, explore your entrepreneurial side. And we find some of these things are so common that it it just allows them to be who they are. Here, they're not moms, they're not daughters, they're not wives. They are them, right? They are me. I'm really interested to hear more about how you are able to bring, what are strategies for bringing work to women? If we know that women have a lot of things happening at home, they have domestic yeah. chores, they yeah. have all of this. Yeah. How can we look at flexible ways to bring work to women? Actually, um, in some ways, you know, um, if you just look at what's happening, at work or what's happening to work a uh, couple of things i think uh, 
the industrial structure of work is going down which means corporate jobs haven't grown uh, also you know more machines are doing the job of many people so you know automation mm -hmm. industrialization the third thing that's happening is uh, work is e more and more becoming individual driven earlier the work for work was work you know work floor driven it is it is factorized right yeah. like when china was doing this 20 years ago that's what it sort of grew on yeah right but now the fundamental nature of work has changed in some ways it's a blessing in disguise because for the first time uh women have a chance to be equal or more at work because work has become more and more entrepreneurial mm. and if you look at how women are women are actually entrepreneurial because you you're always less resourced you are underprivileged you are the less visible bring, bring yes and you're always higher. juggling so women are by by nature very very entrepreneurial and as entrepreneurial work grows you know women have actually a huge chance to be a large part of the workforce but this will most likely be what i call micro entrepreneurial self driven mobile mm. phone oriented yeah uh, workforce uh so in some ways that's how i think women are getting closer to work mm. but at the same time look we still can't run away from from the responsibility of making sure there are more women in the formal workforce more women as part of tax payers you know the income tax payers salary salary workforce as well as women entering the workforce uh it's still a huge problem because those numbers are not growing you know then as jobs are not growing the number of women sort of getting formal jobs is still sort of you mm -hmm. know inadequate so there is also that aspect so it's it's a it's a two edged sword but having said that look what's happening is we live in an information heavy world right mm -hmm. and so for the first time that's proving to be a uh, a way out for women but here's an opportunity for a lot of women to to sort of do this in a very very different context their dependency on men in the family their dependency on education systems their dependency on formal workforce their dependency on government policy is pretty minimal so i know what we won't achieve by having you know women in formal workforce or by sort of you know creating more jobs because it's a it's that's not how how this is going to be played out this will play out in a very very different fashion where you know people will exploit entrepreneurial opportunities the power of the, their own skill the power of their own individuality and the power of what i call platforms in a bigger way you know and and that's very, very exciting because it's got a scale you and i can't imagine hmm. i also want to share with you that india's only country where women only communities exist offline and they've done incredibly well hmm. so if you look at uh, you know a company called say a uh, company called amul mm. okay amul is as big as unilever but amul is if you sort of double click on amul amul is basically a network of women only cooperatives these mm. are women only communities who workplace support each other who do things together it's mm. it's removing that isolation and coming into a socio economic collective and that model is so successful that's how women do well because <laughs> 
they find cheerleaders <laughs> and they find a voice and they find platform and women have done in incredibly well in these spaces because they're high trust spaces they're non-judgmental uh, they also allow you to bring all of your life in one space the biggest difference between how the world was designed let's say the industrial world was designed it had a clear demarcation between work and life and you went to work and then you went back to life and men made this world and men dominated this world for a long mm. time but when women design these these socioeconomic collectives they bring all of their lives together because for a woman there are no yeah there're no layers right yeah. like you're you're always carrying this in your backpack right it's always <laughs> with you for for our listeners sairi uh, comes is exclusively available with a backpack <laughs> you've gone to you've gone to fancy dinners with a backpack i i go everywhere with a backpack like they laugh at me because you know i got my life in it it's got like everything in it right so so when a woman walks into that room she walks she brings all of herself right i will come with a child i will come with a whole lot of other labels and i will also come with a desire to do well how do you enable this for men it's very easy to shut off because the world allows them to shut off their permission to shut off yeah. is a given whereas when i have to do this i have to negotiate i have yeah. to constantly negotiate do you know you you had this uh, you had in your in your talk you mentioned that you're like i've taken my child into board meetings yeah what are the dynamics of that like how do you introduce your child to a room full of men and that should be the normal i hope you like like how do you actually, do this do you introduce your child with an expertise area <laughs> this, this, this is my child he's I the think, ceo of my company <laughs> <laughs> well i think right now the expertise she's building is a sarcasm but <laughs> i think it's it's an important skill these days <laughs> yeah but uh, look uh, that's the whole thing right so uh, I have to negotiate for that space. If I'm a woman founder, I run my own company and I don't have a babysitter or in-laws, then what do I do with the child, right? Like I can only carry it like my backpack everywhere and so I did, right? But what that triggered was and I'll tell you something very funny happened because we are we were a company that had one lot of flexibility and we had child-friendly policies because there was a child in office. a lot more women would women would apply to us and these were women from very big companies like bain and mckinsey and mm-hmm. like the big guys to say could i work with you and that's how we started doing more of this flexible work thing because people saw that hey i can bring all of my life here i don't have to exclude parts of me i don't have to edit out and so my daughter grew up in offices and sort of you know boardrooms and everywhere and she went everywhere with me and that's how people know me right but look 10 years ago if you did this you know one there always fewer women in in any room you walk into you know and even today that's true but if if you sort of assert who you are it just makes space for more women to come there right to sort of ask for like a babysitter or to ask for a baby room like uh, any office we've ever built whether we were a small company of 20 people or where we are now we've always had a child room and a babysitter employed by us and that just made made it so much easier for women to sort of you know be in the workforce right it's a it's a very simple investment it's not an expensive investment but our intention was right like designing policies that are more welcoming to women returning into the yeah. workforce whether yeah. it's having a crash yeah. having a, an employed babysitter full time yeah. there yeah these are costs that have to be borne by you yeah, yeah. the government 
um, does not, and, and I, from what I've yeah. uh, gathered, the government doesn't fund any of this. Right. So the cost of inculcating women or the cost yeah. of, um, you know, maintaining a workforce that yeah. is feminized yeah. falls entirely upon the company. Yeah. Um, and then as, as, as a result ends up serving as a deterrent to hiring more women. Yeah. What would, I mean, and how do you handle this situation? I mean, did, did you know, did right. Shiro's experience and an, an a higher cost or? Look, I don't treat this as cost. I treat this as investment. And I'll tell you why. Because what you're doing is you're attracting much more smarter people to work with you. Right? To be honest, these are very small costs in the long term. They're really a decimal point on your balance sheet. You know, because these are not real costs. The costs... The biggest cost in business is the opportunity cost. Nice. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. How do you sort of, how do you build a business if your opportunity cost is going to miss out on 50% of the talent? Yeah. Or it's going to have low empathy as a business. Then you're basically re repeating, you know, the 19th century when we were building factories mm. and everything was sort mm. of nameless, faceless. But today we are a knowledge-led workforce. We are a discretion-led Workforce. So, unlocking worker discretion is my number one job as a founder. How do you do that unlocking without making worker space? discretion? Yeah. That's an interesting phase. Yeah. Like, you know, if people are forever going to be worrying about, you know, who they left behind or sort of yeah. not having a safe commute or not having the time to themselves, then they're not going to be thinking about problems that you're solving as a team. You know? True. You know, it's like how. Uh, you train athletes, right? Mm. When, you know, people show potential, they're sent to all these athletic facilities, yeah. facilities, right? What happens there? Basically, people are allowed to bring the best of their potential and they're just, everything else is a trigger for them to unlock that potential. So if you treat your workforce like this, whether they're mums or whether they are older people, or whether they are, you know, LGBTQ people or whether people with disabilities or whether they are young men, with you know different sort of you know backgrounds our job is to sort of make sure they have a safe playground for these triggers right and then they'll sort of mm. they likely do the best work so as a founder my job is to make sure the best work of their careers happens while they're here yeah. you name a great company and they will make space they will make space for their people yeah. so now too i mean we are in a capitalist society yeah. which prizes uh, the 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 size of your uh, output, yes. the size of your, with the capital size of your output, more than say you know how you treat your workers. Yeah. Um, what is the connection between you know empathy and success on in a capitalist society? Right, because look, I think while capital is still the mainstay of how we unlock growth, most of the growth that we need to induce is not manual growth. It's intellectual growth, right? Mm. So when I'm designing an algorithm or when I'm designing a new product or when I'm designing an AI solution or a new consumer product or a new fashion product, you would like the best of my, my intelligence into it. And how do you unlock intelligence? If I'm unwilling or unintended, then you're not going to get the best of my work, right? So that's the opportunity for companies. But having said that, this is just one layer of the society. We're just talking about a very creamy metro elite layer. Mm. We, we are a diverse, stratified, segmented country. Uh, the, you know, 
language changes you know Every context changes yeah. exactly so there there are too many variants to this look at one level the world's changing drastically and it's changing everywhere whether it's in korea or india or bombay or us or europe it's all the same hmm. right but if you sort of double click you know we step you know 50 kilometers from delhi then we are in a totally different territory where hmm. women are still fighting for things like the right to show their face yeah. right the right to have a mobile phone the right to work the right to have a name that's theirs the right to their own dreams mm. right so it's it's a it's still a very divided world but at least at one one end of it there is some some change happening you know and and change once put in motion always sort of triggers a lot others right it's it's pretty much like any any technological change right so the first 100 people who bought the first cars or the first iPhones triggered it for like millions and it triggered an entire industry right mm. so it's it's putting the core values that are that are specific so i do see a, a tinge of you know empathy led leadership and empathy led change yeah. so it's interesting that while we are we are in the most you can call us the most severe place of uh denial of rights for women and denial of you know their access to income and opportunities we're also in a place where this is this is happening mm-hmm. so and i think that's what makes it exciting because you you know it's it's like the landline revolution you know india never got landlines because we never had the bandwidth to do it mm. but we all got mobile phones right we're the country that got to the 100 million mobile phones before us did mm. yeah. so uh same with the opportunities that are playing out now because oh nice right so for yeah. the first time you know so we may not build the next silicon valley uh, for various reasons we may not also not build the chinese version of uh, industrialization but we are very likely to build a revolution of micro entrepreneurs online who are very likely women Wow. <laughs> so and I feel internet's going to be the biggest catalyst for women. Yeah. Like it's it's life changing for a lot of women because it's going to give them identities, it's going to offer them voice, mm-hmm. it's going to give them opportunities. It's also going to be their fun place. It's going to be their version of the big boys club to say. Hey. <laughs> yeah, because look we all do well when we have a collective So whether it is you know the Harvard network or your Jimkhana network or whether it's your Kitty Party network or yeah the... we all we all thrive in communes right we all thrive in collectives. I you know I'm curious too when we talk about how the nature of work is changing and lots of us many of us in this room included have some sort of a flexible work environment. You know there's some things that have been set up to try to protect women yeah. and families right so whether that's maternity leave yeah. you know whether that's transportation after 7 you know these kind of things which we can debate mm-hmm. the merits of how yeah. those actually yeah. work yeah um do you think are there things that we need as we look forward to the future of work yeah Yeah, so other things we need to to look at. Right. So that? I do think uh you know I know internet is now connectivity is a right in the UN's charter, you know, it's SDG now. Two, I think what's going to happen is we all going to get disrupted over and over again. So uh it's a little uh scary that countries like India don't have a social security system. Most of us are going to be pensionless. Most of us are not going to have those savings that we need to keep up the lifestyle so i think these are things that uh, you know one needs to sort of 
talk more of and you know think about how how there's going to be a safety net for a large number of people because it doesn't exist at all today you know so uh, but other th- thing that's happening you know from a future work perspective is the work work is far more global today than it ever was mm. you know and uh, uh, and from a women's perspective i feel two things are going to be very very sort of interesting uh, one is uh, commerce because uh, people are going to be trading a lot of their self made goods and services or be a you know uh, be a loop in the in the supply chain uh, a lot more peer to peer is going to happen in india second is uh, traditionally access to credit for women was offline okay and it it was a very difficult job to have access to capital one women don't start with inheritance so their access to capital is always low you you have you have lower pay than men you work lesser years than men you take more breaks but i feel there is there's going to be a significant change in how women access capital once they become more and more connected it's going to all go digital and it's also going to change the texture of who's credit worthy so your credit worthiness is not only going to be you know by the men or mm, the family by, yeah. by these barriers that have traditionally and that'll be revolutionary yes so credit for women going online yeah is massive okay and uh, it's and it's going to come from a lot of things from their online identities it's going to come from their entrepreneurial stories from their entrepreneurial successes and of course from their peer networks one of the things that we also learned was that women are very sort of uncomfortable with handling power with yeah. handling money like yeah. a lot of us don't know what to do with with yeah. power and money when yeah. we are faced with it yeah. like what what are the what are the steps i guess one can take in that direction um just to make women more confident with the with the power and the money that they come across right i think power and money traditionally has spoken the language of men Yeah 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 it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's the words we use right because they have not familiar to women the, it's it connotes power means masculinity today right yeah. like in in the like the most sort of simplest sort of definitions if you change the connotation of power and you also change the terms around it so i'll give you a very small example uh if you talk about savings or if you talk about uh you know building building financial wealth right uh so a lot lot more men play in the stock market than women right but lot more women buy gold so if you just change the texture of the conversation to say savings also means gold is equal to saving right uh-huh. so you can save 50 bucks a day and buy yourself a gold jewelry it can all be on paper or on your mobile it's a language they understand far better than saying etf yes yeah. bonds or adventures hmm. because there's also this this is closely held right number of women in wall street number of women stock market number of land holdings that are names of women yeah. right but it, more and more women start doing this in their own context why is amul successful amul's capital market capitalizations as big as unilever okay yeah. but beneath it you know it's not a corporation that became wealthy you know couple of million of women became wealthy their understanding of power and money is very different so if you keep changing the texture of what power looks like mm. and how it comes to you it came by selling milk 
it came by putting that little piece of money back yeah. in your kitty it came by saving it came by having a card which had your id on it mm. it came from different means of power mm. and it came in a language you understand mm. you it's in your context so it's very important for us to contextualize the idea of power and money for women mm. right we mm. have to open these doors and these doors are opening i want to tell you this is unstoppable because somebody's tasted handling their own money or the somebody's tasted success they never going to go back it's like yeah. like a butterfly never goes back in the cocoon right yeah. it's like that so keeping you know if you keep changing the language of power so if you keep saying empathy 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 and trust and like you know humanity then it's it's going to make a lot more people uncomfortable about it right it's going to sort of say how do i fit in this you know i'm so macho <laughs> <laughs> figure it out boys yeah figure it out so it's we have to we have to keep changing the language of power and language of money it's amazing like by the way in uh, bangladesh they've done some interesting work right their number of women in workforce has gone up yeah. for many reasons one putting more women in factories the women leaders uh, texture of money flow of money lot of things kept changing this narrative right so to an average factory worker on the floor it's not alien anymore it's part of her life it's so deeply integrated and it's common place now right amul is a common place phenomena right basically it became common place to go sell milk and have your own money and if you do this for two generations you change it wow very interesting isn't it that is fascinating so just to give you an example like i have a friend she's building this huge marketplace in rural rajasthan where women are like mobile shopkeepers right they go sell these products that mm. villagers need whether it's solar lanterns or yeah. you know fans or whatever look they're all entrepreneurs and if you mm. have a million of these in a in a 10 km radius you've changed the texture of that village you've changed the power equation in that village forever Thank you so much Sairi. I appreciate you. it. Thank you. Women in Labor is made by Christina McGilvery, Laura Quinn, Aditi Mittal, Manya Sachdeva, Sonakshi Chowdhury, Nandita Gupta, Sonali Thakkar, Ipti Patnaik, Rose Higgins, Porva Jassy, Regina Hawkins, Kashish Sethi, and Priyanka Verma. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center New Delhi. The opinions, findings, and conclusions stated are those of women in labor and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. For more information on the podcast, visit womeninlabor.com or search Women in Labor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.